this morning, I want to take a few moments, and I sort of want to let you in to the personal devotion times we've been having over the past couple of weeks. So it may not be very put together, because the things I'm going to share with you is very personal in my own heart. So if it just comes out a little messy, just hang with it, and, we will, and we'll get through it together. Amen? Okay, Amen. okay with that? Amen. May not be homiletically correct, but it'll be genuine. So... I want to share with you on the thought of Zero My Hero, borrowing from, who remembers Schoolhouse Rock back in the day? <laughs> Conjunction, junction, watch, show, function. Remember that, right? Right? Schoolhouse Rock. So to borrow a title from them, Zero is My Hero. And I want to look at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. If you would like, you can follow along on the notes in prayermissionschurch.org, mynewbridge.church. If you want to find it there, it's there. I put together somewhat of an outline. You may can follow along or you may not, but it's uh, there for you. I want to read an account that's pretty familiar to most of us. But as we look at it, I want you to, I want you to think of this particular story as is as if it were a parable, right? As if it were a parable. This actually happened, but as we read it, think of it as a parable for a few moments. And I'll let the Lord speak to you out of this event of what happened nearly 2,000 years ago. So John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. He's appearing to his disciples. This is prior to the ascension. John 21, 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing or zero. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got on the land, they saw charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. That is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. Thank God for his word. So we're going to take a look at this passage for a few moments, and we're going to look at it in three different ways. First way, what's right, what's wrong, and what could have been. 
what's right, what's wrong, and what could have been. So let's take for a moment and see what was right about what was transpiring in this event. The first, they were doing what they supposed to do. They were doing exactly what they supposed to do. They were fishermen. So can I ask you, what do fishermen supposed to do? They supposed to fish. They were doing what they were trained to do. They were doing what they knew to do. They were doing what they were called to do to provide and take care of their families. They were fishermen, so they were fishing. In effect, they had said yes to their calling, and they said yes to their vocation. Secondly, they were equipped with what they needed. They had boats, they had nets, they had bait, etc. In other words, provision had already been in place to equip them with everything that they needed to do exactly what God had called them to do. They were said yes to their vocation, and they said now yes to the equipment and the equipping that they had to do what they were called to do. Not only were they doing what they supposed to do, they were doing what they were equipped to do, they were also doing exactly where they were supposed to do it, right? They were out on the lake. Where do fishermen fish? Not on the land, right? They were exactly where they supposed to be. They were out on the lake. They had, in effect, said yes to their location. They were doing what they supposed to do with what they were supposed to have to do it in the place they were called to do it, right? So three of the checks are by, are by the boxes. Next, they were actually with the right people they were supposed to be doing it with. Isn't that interesting? Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and the other disciples in the second boat, they were right there with them. So guess what? They had said yes to the right community. They had all these things going for them. All the boxes were checked, but it was what? Fruitless. They caught no fish. Do you believe it is possible and albeit probable for us to have lots of activity and actually get nothing of real significance accomplished. They had all the checks marked behind all the boxes, all the activity. They had worked all night, yet nothing of real significance was accomplished. Oh, you can have everything right and still get absolutely nothing of significance accomplished. Just think about it for a second. Some of us have it all put together. We've checked every box, but yet we're not yielding kingdom significance in our life. So what's wrong? That was what's right. Let's take a few moments now. We'll unpack this a little bit more deeply. What was wrong? Well, the obvious thing is this. What was wrong? They did it in the flesh. Let that just sit on your soul for a minute. They did it in the flesh. They had labored all night long, tirelessly, right, with all the boxes checked, yet they were doing it in the arm of the flesh. Let me share with you a couple of passages. One in 2 Chronicles 32.8, it's reciting an account of Hezekiah is about to go out to war with Sennacherib, and this is what was said of him, 2 Chronicles 32.8, with him is an arm of the flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He was coming in what? Everybody grab your left arm. The arm of the flesh. He was coming in the arm of the flesh. Check out this passage in Jeremiah 17.5. 
Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now let that weigh on you for a moment. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. How often do we do this very thing? That we trust in our own flesh and the capacity that we have in the flesh to get things accomplished. And the word actually says, this man shall be cursed in his endeavors. It's a weighty word. Paul goes on to teach us, you can check this out on your your own, in the book of Galatians 3, verse 3, it says that things can actually begin in the spirit, yet end up where? In the flesh. He's warning the Galatians, don't let what started in the spirit end up in the flesh. This is why so many So many in the body of Christ that have vibrant relationships with Jesus. And in 25 years of ministry, I've seen this play out over and over and over again. They start in the spirit. They go off like the space challenger. They are zooming into the atmosphere. And this little O-ring comes loose. And the whole thing comes down. You see, a little flesh can bring the whole thing down. We must be warned of this. They were doing it in the flesh. And as a result, what else went wrong? They caught zero. Everybody say zero. Zero. You realize we can work ourselves to exhaustion and be completely ineffective. We can work ourselves in ministry. We can work ourselves in our family. We can work ourselves vocationally. And exhaust ourselves till we are a puddle on the floor and we have zero fruit to prove from it. About 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago now, I was one of these guys that, man, I like to work. I'm a doer. I'm a, I was a card carrying member of the Martha Club. I could do it. Just tell me what to do, just, and I'll do it, and I will work, and I'll work, and I'll work. And we were going through a season of ministry that things were expanding and things were going well. And I was just, I mean, sun up to sundown, seven days a week, building the kingdom of God, so I thought. And then this pain developed on my back. I was like, man, what is this thing? Because you really can't see your back very well. So, you know, it was, it was in an odd place trying to get by the mirror. What is that back there, you know? And I couldn't see it, but it was, it was causing me some pain. And I had my wife look at it and said, you might should go to the doctor. I said, all right, darling. So I went to the doctor and he said, now, how old are you? At the time I was 35, 36. He said, you have shingles. Now, when I think of shingles, I think of somebody that's a little bit older than 36, don't you? Shingles. I said, Doc, what's up with shingles? What brought this, how did this happen? And it was, if you've had shingles, you know it's, it's like extremely painful. You know what he said? He said, stress. He said, stress brought it to bear. Man, I was working myself to death, and my body was crumbling inside of me. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, this isn't like a subtle thing in Scripture, right? This is actually relatively clear. But I was working, and I was building, and I had checked every box. I was, I was doing what I was supposed to do. I had the equipment to do it with. I was in the right place. I was with the right people. 
But yet, I was dying inside. Every outward indicator looked like success was happening, but every inward indicator was destroying me. See, we can fall into those traps, can't we, very easy. Everything on the outside looks good. It looks very impressive. Listen, I was going around speaking on church planting, and listen, I was like the golden child. He can tell you how to do it. And I was. I was telling everybody how to do it, but inside, I was dying inside. And I didn't even know what I thought what I was doing was right. I didn't know what was wrong with me. But something was wrong, as I would come later to find out. The score was 153 to 0 in this passage. Now think about it for a second. The score was 153 to 0. God, 153. Man, 0. Holy Spirit, 153. The arm of the flesh, what? Zero. They did it in the flesh, therefore they called absolutely zero. And that's what was wrong. Everything was right, but yet everything was wrong. And they're about to learn a great lesson. Well, what could have been? We saw what was right. We saw what was wrong. What could have been? This is where it's going to land in each of our heart. Because this is for us. This is what we can enjoy walking in. What could have been is this. Number one, what could have been was grace. Now think about this for a second. They really and truly only needed to cast their nets once. But they had worked all night long casting their net in a fruitless attempt to catch fish. But in truth, how many times do they really need to cast the net? Once. Man, I look back on my life and I think of all the effort and time spent casting nets fruitlessly and pulling in nothing. They only need to cast it. Don't we waste so much time and energy striving when we're not operating in grace? And we strive and we, and we work at it and it's, and it's just there's no oil on it. There's no grace on it. You know, the Word teaches us that out of our belly shall flow what rivers of living water, yet many of us live with the longest ladle possible to go all the way to the very bottom of the barrel and just barely scrape up enough to come out to take care of our need. That's how many of us lived. I was living that way, and God's, yeah, you can have it that way, but I got so much more for you. He has not called His sons and daughters to go out and buy the longest ladle from Walmart to dip in your proverbial barrel. He's not called us to live like that. He's called us to live, what, out of the overflow, not out of scarcity. Because that's what grace does for us. Remember, what was the score? 153 to what? Zero, right? Now think of this for a second. God is building skyscrapers. I mean, he's building skyscrapers that stretch all the way into the sky, and we show up on the scene with our hammer, a few rusty nails, and a piece of wood, and say, we're going to help. Now, come on. That's what we do, isn't it? God's building skyscrapers, yet we come on the scene, and we really imagine that we're really going to contribute very much to the construction of this skyscraper with our hammer and our rusty nails and our little piece of wood. And we really think we're going to depend on the arm of the flesh to get something done. 
And the father just looks at us and says, you really missed it. You really don't get it. Honestly, think about it for a second. Truthfully, honestly, what are we really bringing to the table? What are we bringing to the table? Nothing. Think of it this way. Everyone wants to be a hero not realizing they're a zero. Maybe that'll stick in our, in our poetic mind. All of us want to be a hero, but, we, but we're actually a zero. Zero, my hero. Guess what? You can join Team Zero this morning if you want to. Team Zero is drafting right now. <laughs> and you can sign up. Join Team Zero. You may remember the movie. Who remembers the movie, Remember the Titans? Remember that movie with Denzel Washington? That was such a great movie. That was an, that was an epic movie. If you haven't seen Remember the Titans, how, how many of you have seen Remember the Titans? Remember that? Yeah, most of it. Wasn't that a good movie? Remember the little song, We Are the Titans, the Mighty, Mighty Titans. Remember that? Come on, just get, just get in you. Listen, I think we need a new, I think we need a new chant. I think we need a new mantra, right? We are the zeros, the mighty, mighty zeros. That really should be us. We should just say we are the zeros, the mighty, mighty zeros. Because in truth, all we are bringing to the table are filthy rags, a deceitful heart, and a tongue that's been set on fire by hell itself. That's you at your best. Glory to God. That's all we got. Filthy rags, a deceitful heart, and a tongue set on fire by hell. And we really think we're contributing anything to this. That's what we bring. That's what we bring. And to add insult to injury to this, we actually have zero purchasing power. Because if you have zero in your account, you can't buy a thing. How many of you have been in a place in life where you had zero in your account? And you go and swipe your car and you find out, uh-oh, I can't make, you know, I can't make a withdrawal on zero. It's impossible for me to have zero in my account and take my ATM card and make any kind of withdrawal on this planet. But can I tell you something? A zero balance in the kingdom of God is unlimited, profound wealth. A zero in the balance sheet in the kingdom of God makes you extraordinarily wealthy in the kingdom. So prove that. Well, I will. Check this out. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Ho! I like, don't you like that? Ho! Everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And you who have no money, zero. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Now that is so adversarial to our natural mind. How can you purchase something without anything? Because it's the kingdom we purchase through our zero. It says, come and buy with zero and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, God is saying, and eat what is good. You eat what you purchase with zero. That is good. And from that place of zero, your soul will delight itself in abundance. And the invitation the Lord has given each one of us is to incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. 
There's a place in the kingdom that our soul can actually prosper. But when we are not living in this place, we are continually having to pray Psalm 23, restore my soul, restore my soul, restore my soul. Because we are operating not in grace, we are operating in the arm of the flesh, trusting in man, and it wears our soul out, and we dip from the bottom of the barrel. That will get you into the kingdom one day, into glory one day, but you're going to crawl in. That's not how we've been called to live. Zero plus grace equals me. Zero plus grace equals us. And it's who we are. Do you have time for just a quick rabbit trail? Quick rabbit trail here. So I was noticing in this passage as I was studying this week, something interesting popped out to me that John makes sure we key in on. And it's found in John 21, 11. You can look at this. It says, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, look at this, the net was not torn. The net was not torn. What God graced them with, they made it back to shore with all of it, not just a little bit of it. Many of us don't tend to live that way. We tend to live what we see in Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Pay attention here. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is what God is asking. This is not a salvific thing. This isn't about your salvation. This is about how you live, how you operate, how we think, what the posture of your heart, how it's aligned. He's saying, consider your ways. You have sown much but bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. What happens to us when we live apart from grace, that's what's happening. There's just never enough. We live in a place of scarcity. We live in a place, there's a void, a continual vacuum that's literally sucking away all the resources. It's taking our energy. It's taking our health. It's taking our finances. It's taking our family. It's taking our relationship with Jesus. Just siphon it all away. And God's saying, consider your ways. That it doesn't have to be that way that we can posture ourselves from this beautiful place of grace. What could have been, they could have had grace. Secondly, they could have had intimacy. They were serving without intimacy with Jesus. They were serving without intimacy. I was praying about maybe four weeks ago, and I was just asking the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, Lord, I I want to do your will. Would you all agree? Does everybody in the room just want to do the will of God? There's probably not a single person here right now that say, no, I'm not interested in that. Every one of us, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's been a predominant theme in my prayer for decades. As you meet with people in the church, what does God want me to do? It's always about doing, to do, to do, to do. Lord, we want to do your will. But God spoke to me and said, don't you know, son, you are my will? Wait a minute. Well, I want to do your will, but no, no. You actually, you actually are my will. Now think about that for a minute. Because 
Can I just take a little burden off of you for a second? God didn't create us to get something done. Because God knows all we have is a hammer and some rusty nails and some wood, and he really didn't look at that and think he needed any help with the, church, with the skyscraper he's building. The Lord didn't call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He did not save me so I could get his to-do list done. God did not present to me a honeydew list when I got saved. Now, your wife may do that to you, and your husband may do that to you, but God the Father did not do that to you. He did not give you a honeydew list. We're not meant just to do his will. We are his will. He made us for his pleasure. He made us for relationship. He made us to know him and to walk with him because he is building his church and he invited me to come alongside and do it with him. Recognizing I'm not bringing anything to the table. I'm going to leave my little hammer and my rusty nails, all that at home, and I'm just going to come to daddy. Thanks, Daddy, for letting me help you. Can I I come along, Daddy? And that's it. Because the truth is, he doesn't want you to work for him. He wants you to work with him. It's the the very nature of relationship. I remember my dad sitting here on the front row. He used to take me on fence jobs on a regular basis, and I was like five or six years old. I wasn't contributing that much. I mean, I could drag like one post around, you know, like that. I remember mixing up the concrete in the, in the you know, wheelbarrow and try to, you know, stay that thing. And the whole thing spill over in the yard, you know. But I really thought I was probably contributing something. But in reality, I learned something. Dad just wanted to be with me. He had to do something together because he had two jobs. He worked all the time. And he realized the most valuable relationship time he could have with me was I got to do things with him that he was doing. That's Dad. So we're invited into that. Listen, this revelation will change everything about our walk with Jesus when we realize we are his will. It's not about doing his will. We are his will. We're going to do his will, but that's the byproduct. The product is knowing him. The byproduct is getting stuff done. But we invert that. We think the product is getting something done, and the byproduct is getting to know Jesus. We imagine in our own minds and heart that the product is getting something done for Jesus and the byproduct is getting to love him along the way. But the true product is knowing God and loving him and the byproduct are us accomplishing the predestined work that he has called us to accomplish. And can I tell you something? We can't will ourselves into this. This is a hard posture thing that can only happen through a spirit of wisdom and revelation striking our heart and altering some things through an encounter with his love and his word. Things got to be like reorganized in our hearts. That's why we must have encounters with God. Our depth of effective ministry, vocation, parenting will depend on our depth of intimacy. It will depend on it. The effectiveness of our whole life pursuits, ministry, parenting, family, vocation will anchor itself. It will depend on our depth of intimacy with the Father. Otherwise, we're going to be doing it without Him. I call it the assumption presumption conundrum. (laughs) The assumption presumption conundrum. I assume God said something. I start doing it. I presume He's with me, and I'm in a real conundrum because I've already got into something He never called me into. (laughs) Listen, I'm really familiar with that conundrum. I lived, that was my address for decades. 
lived in that conundrum. Intimacy is the place that we are called to. We were visiting a nursing home 10 years ago or so, and um, there was a lady there whom we knew her son. Her name was um, Sister Weber. Sister Weber. Sister Weber was 100 years old, and we went to see Sister Weber on her birthday. Now, she's 100. She's in a wheelchair, nearly in a catatonic state, right? Just kind of like that. Just, just, she's alive, but I mean, are you there, Sister Weber? I mean, she's like, she's just kind of there. Alzheimer's, dementia, whatnot. She was just kind of there in the wheelchair. So I remember we just kind of got, we got to say, happy birthday, Sister Weber. And I got on my knees and said, happy birthday, Sister Weber. And she's, she's just sitting there. I said, well, let's just pray for Sister Weber. So we put out and we put, we started praying on her. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden she bolted straight up. And she started praying in an unknown tongue with more power and vigor. I was like, oh, what's going on here? You see, she may have lost her mental faculties, but the Spirit of God was alive inside of her. She knew the love of God that passed understanding, that bypassed her cerebral cortex, and it veiled her spirit, just poured out in she, I mean, with power, praying the Spirit for probably four minutes, sounded like a volcano coming out, and then she stopped and then went back to... Can I tell you, intimacy is real. Intimacy is enduring. It's life-giving. <laughs> and God is good. We see this, so many examples of this through Scripture. This has been said in previous weeks, but you can compare the effectiveness of Mary of Bethany's prayer with Martha's prayer after Lazarus' death. They both basically prayed the same thing. Martha was busy. She asked, she asked Jesus, you could have raised him from the dead. And they entered in some kind of a theological conversation and you know, nothing was accomplished because she was operating in the arm of the flesh. But Mary at the feet of Jesus prays the exact same prayer, asked the exact same thing, and a storm erupted inside of the Son of God. And he wept bitterly and Lazarus rose from the dead. You see, it's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He has yet to deny. We are invited as the people of God to live and to lead from the feet of Jesus. See, this is the invitation that's being extended to all of us in this generation, that we can actually live and lead from the feet of Jesus, the place where grace is most manifested. And what does it look like? What does it feel like? What's the texture of it? What does it look like? Isaiah 40. Verses 27 through 31, we'll begin to land the plane here. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. You probably know this passage. First verse, in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God. Let's pause there for a minute. Let me offer you the Dustin paraphrase. All right? Because when flesh is on the scoreboard and not zero, we end up in verse 27. When flesh is on the scoreboard and not zero, we actually end up in verse 27. Let me give you a paraphrase, my paraphrase. God, where are you? Why is this so hard? It's not fair. That's verse 27. Have you been there before? God, where are you? Why is this so hard? It's not fair. We've all been at that place before. Struggling, agonizing, shingles breaking out on your back arrows of angry people that shot you 
right? No good deed goes unpunished, right? I mean, just riddled with holes and pain. And Lord, where are you in the midst of this? God says, I'm, 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 you're almost where I need you to be right now. Because I think I'll tell you something. Look at verse 28. Have you not known? This is the, this is the response to this, to this incredible frustration and irritation. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? Neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, who have just zero. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But look at this. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is God's word true? Is it true? Let God be right. Let every man be a liar. He has promised us that we can run and not grow weary. Now, that does not mean we can sit in the recliner and get absolutely and do nothing. There's no room for laziness and sluggishness. There is actual running. There's probably physical tiredness at the end of the workday. But guess what happens? You don't go weary of soul. The word admonishes don't grow weary in well-doing. We go weary in well-doing when the arm of the flesh is involved. When there's no arm of the flesh, guess what happens? You can run and not grow weary. You can walk and not go faint. What that means is we can finish the race that has been set before us to run. Many of us get sidelined. There's casualties all along the pilgrim's road because we do things in the arm of the flesh. Someone once said that rat poison is 97% inert ingredients, but 3% poison is the 3% that kills you. A little flesh will take you out. Don't underestimate it. It's dangerous. This land. John 21, we didn't read this. I encourage you to read it at home. But John 21 continues to tell us about an intimate encounter that Jesus has on the beach with Peter. Peter, as you know, had reached the end of himself. He had denied Jesus all these things that happened. Now he ends up on the beach, a broken man. Arm of the flesh Peter had finally reached zero. Arm of the flesh Peter had finally reached zero. And Jesus, now Peter, you can feed my lambs. Now you're ready, Peter, to go wait in Jerusalem for something, someone I'm going to give you. But now you're broken. Now, Now you see the need. A number of years ago, I found myself on the exact same beach on the Sea of Galilee, right where Peter was. They tell us archaeologists pretty much narrowed down. A lot of things when you go to Israel, they're not sure where things happened, but they know about where that was. And I went on this rocky little beach on the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and I knelt down. And this was a particular moment in my own life where things were really broken and things were, I was just, I was right there in verse 27. You know, I was, God, where are you? This is so hard. Where are you? And I'm sitting there broken. And I remember I picked up this rock right here, right off of the Sea of Galilee. And I felt like my life was in a million pieces. And I said, oh God, just, I need you back. I need you back. I was broken. But can I tell you something? I got up from that place, 
and this is what I did. Because sometimes, listen to this, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Sometimes he gives us the gift of brokenness, but we don't realize it's a gift. And we start putting ourselves back together again rather than just staying broken. Do you hear me? Sometimes over the course of our life, we hit moments like I was having on the beach that day that, that my life was broken. I was exactly where God needed me to be. I even somehow realized that I picked up this rock and I put myself back together. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to just put myself back together so I can look good. And I'm going to go back. And you know what happens is the process starts all over again. Many of us, if we walk with Jesus long enough, we've been in moments in time when we were a broken heap before the Lord. And that's exactly where he wants us. But somehow, we, in the arm of the flesh, we start putting ourselves right back together. And you know what that means is? That all we experience from the Father and the Holy Spirit is a visitation and not a habitation. We get a visitation and not a habitation. You know the difference, right? That we have moments with God and flashes of joy and peace, but they come and go. It's like, it's like six flags on the roller coaster, man, up and down, up and down. And we think a visitation is really all there is, but can't you, there's actually a habitation. There's a place in brokenness before God, a place in embracing the zero that you have and begin to turn in that zero for unfathomable wealth in the kingdom of God. And I don't mean just money. I mean love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, and self-control. That's the place. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so grateful for all the Lord is doing. I just don't want a visitation. I want a habitation. I want the Lord to dwell in the midst of his people, in the midst of my heart. I want to walk in continual prayer with the Father. I want to reduce the inputs in my life that's just cluttering up his voice in my head so I can hear him and stay broken before him, that I have nothing. I have nothing. Can I invite you to stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here's the deal. I do not hold myself accountable for revelation that I didn't have in the past. I can look back with regret, but no, I don't do that. I'm grateful for what he's saying right now. But I recognize what we're talking about here. It has to be an encounter with Jesus. It has to be an encounter with his love and his heart for us. We need to reach the end of ourselves. And some of us have to go further down that road than others. And then he meets us in that place. And that's the place. It's the prophet that said that God dwells on a high and holy hill. And with the meek and the lowly. To those he revives their heart and he revives their soul. This is the habitation of God. If you're here right now. And you'd say, Lord, I need my heart to be revived. I need my soul to be revived. I just, God, I'm tired embrace that it's a gift it's a precious gift brokenness before the lord's a precious gift it's only by his grace we can even get to brokenness and out of brokenness his grace explodes on our life the light the truth oh the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn it shines brighter to the full day 
Thus is the grace of God. So if you can, put your hand over your heart. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, before we leave this service, we're just asking you, do a mighty work in us, Lord. We want to be a habitation for you. We want you to dwell in us fully, Lord. We want to be a people, a faith family, who are living stones being built together. God, you don't dwell in sheetrock and mortar. You dwell in a people who pursues you, who approaches you. The score is 153 to zero. Lay down your hammer. Lay down your rusty nails. Lay down all your efforts and put it before him and say, God, I have nothing to offer you but filthy rags, a deceitful heart, and a tongue set on fire by hell. It's all I got. (laughs) And he says, oh, yeah, you're right where you're supposed to be, my son, my daughter. You're right where you're supposed to be. I'll meet you right there. I just need you to stay there to stay in that place, to fall on the rock. And don't allow the rock to continue to fall on you. Just fall on the rock and see what I'll do. Stay at my feet. See what I do. Holy Spirit, come right now. Breathe life into all of our hearts. I pray as we leave this place, even this morning, that the word of Jesus would dwell richly inside of us, that it would accomplish that which you intended to accomplish. You just begin to worship the Lord right now in this last moment. Just worship him. Thank you, Lord. Let him speak to your heart. Love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O God, in this moment. That you who began a good work in us We'll be faithful to complete it. So we don't have to have it all figured out. We just need to say yes. Can you say yes today? Just say yes, Lord. Can you be like little Mary who was just told by an angel that she was fixing to be pregnant? Just say, so be it, Lord. And ponder these things in her heart. We love you, Lord. We bless you as we leave from this place. We leave just enthralled with you. Beautiful man. So grateful for our salvation and so grateful for the grace of God. It is by the grace of God I am what I am. It is all grace. Grace upon grace. I pray the abundance of your grace to be made manifest on each one here, every man and woman, every son, every daughter, every child, every little baby, all the way to the nursery. Let the Abundance of God's grace be felt even today. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus and all of us said together, amen.